Amen. If you have a Bible, would you open to 2 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians chapter 2. As you're turning there, if you have a cell phone or electric, electronic device, why don't you put that on silent for us? My name is Jody Sledge. I am one of the pastors here. And we have been working through this letter of Paul. It's in the New Testament through a series we're calling Gospel Power Through Human Weakness. And so today, God has brought us to chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 12 through 17. And I pray that God would speak to us today in a mighty way. So this is the Word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord... My spirit was not at rest, because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. And among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance of death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but men of sincerity. As commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today, God. Would you speak to us today from the Apostle Paul in this letter that he wrote so many years ago, God, but is so helpful for us even today. God, would you show us the power of the gospel even in the midst of our weakness? God, would you show us just how amazingly wonderful Christ is? And how he uses weak people like us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you've got to be strong. You've you got to be strong. That's a message that we have probably all heard our entire lives. I mean, what do we tell little kids when they fall and skin their knee? Say, Come on. Get up. Don't cry. You've got to be strong. Be tough. What do coaches tell their teams in the locker room? We got to play harder. We got to play faster. We got to play stronger if we want to win. What do we look for in leaders who are over us? We want people who are confident, people who are strong. We're told to to work hard and be successful. We're told to to never give up and to never give in. You got to be strong. You know, that's a message that we can hear in the church, too. I mean, sit through a men's ministry, and you're probably going to be told to be a strong man, be a strong husband, be a strong father, show strength in your job. In the women's ministry, we call women to be strong in the home and strong in the workplace. We celebrate women who've got the perfect home and the perfect family and who seem to have it all together. 
Popular Christian books tell us that we should be changing the world. Popular Christian music tells us that we should expect to see victory in all areas of our lives. Even popular Christian teachers tell us that if our faith is strong, we will unlock endless blessings for our lives. It's like everywhere we turn, we're told that you've got to be strong. What happens when we're not strong? What if our faith in the Lord wavers? What if we struggle with the same sin again and again and again? What if we have so much anxiety it's hard to get out of bed in the morning? What happens if we fail in life? What happens if we're not enough? What do we do when we're weak? I mean, can God even use a weak Christian? You know, we've come to God's Word in 2 Corinthians, and I want us to receive this wonderful truth today. God uses weak people. God uses weak people. If you had to summarize our verses today, it would be that. God uses weak people. If you had to summarize the whole letter of 2 Corinthians, you could say that. God uses weak people. And so my prayer for us today as we look at God's Word is that we would receive this simple truth. God uses weak people. I know it might be a little different, but I don't really have many points today because I just want that one truth to ring in our hearts and in our minds. God uses weak people. So let's look now and see that that's true. Look at Paul's weakness in verses 12 and 13. So let's remember a little bit about what's happening between Paul and the Corinthian church. Paul had a long, fruitful ministry with them. But at some point, a group of people started to oppose Paul as a leader over them. The church began to question if they should even let him be someone who leads them as a church. So he makes what he calls a painful visit to them. He goes to Corinth to try to deal with this problem, and it's just a train wreck. It goes terribly. So he just leaves. And after he left, he wrote them another letter that he calls the tearful letter. We don't have that letter, but he called them to repentance. And he sent his friend Titus to go to Corinth with that letter so that he might try to make things better between him and this church. And he is eager to find out how they received that letter. That's what he's talking about here in verses 12 and 13. Look again. He says, when I came to Troash, that's kind of in modern day Turkey. He says to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord. Look at verse 13. My spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went to Macedonia. Paul is on his third missionary journey and he's in this city of Troash. And there's an opportunity for him to do gospel ministry. Maybe there's a church or a synagogue that's like, yeah, brother, you can just do all the preaching you want to do. That's a great opportunity for him. But something doesn't feel right. In his mind and in his heart, there's this conflict with the Corinthian church. He says his spirit was not at rest. 
He's restless over this conflict. He's anxious to hear from Titus, but Titus isn't there. Now listen, this is before the age of cell phones and social media. He can't text Titus. He can't send him a DM and say, how are things going? So he's just so anxious to to hear how they received that letter that he wrote that he is willing to leave a good gospel opportunity. He needs to find Titus. And he tells us that's why he left. You know, we, we often have this idea of Paul as like he is the superhero of the faith. In a lot of ways, he is. I mean, he's probably the greatest missionary who ever lived, probably planted more churches than anyone in history. I mean, his letters are God's word to us. I mean, how amazing is that? His boldness at times is inspiring. His life is worth imitating. In many ways, he is a superhero of the faith. But here in verse 12 and 13, we see a picture of his weakness. This situation in Corinth is just out of control. He is experiencing conflict with other Christians. He has a restless and anxious heart. He's got a great opportunity to preach the gospel, but he leaves just because he wants some good news from his friend. This is not quite the idea that we often have of Paul. He's showing us here his weakness. And really, it's this weakness that some in the church in Corinth were using against him. They were saying things like, Paul just suffers way too much. Every time we look, that guy is in prison again and again. Everywhere he goes, he gets into trouble. I mean, if God were really with him, then wouldn't we see more blessings in his life? They're saying Paul is too weak to be a leader over us. They're criticizing him for his weakness. But listen, they are forgetting one critical truth, aren't they? God uses weak people. Later in in chapter 11, verse 30, Paul will say this. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Paul's not afraid of his weakness because he knows that God uses weak people. And don't we see this all over the Bible? I mean, who does God use to slay the giant and to defeat Israel's enemies? A weak shepherd boy named David. Who does God use to to free the Israelites from slavery in Egypt? A stuttering man named Moses who doesn't even want the job. Who does God use to defeat the Midianite army in the book of Judges? A coward named Gideon with an army of just 300 men. And listen, in the New Testament, who does God use to become the pillars of the church of Jesus? Three uneducated fishermen from the boonies of Galilee named Peter, James, and John. God uses weak people. Certainly these men all had strengths. None of them were trying to be weak. I'm not saying that we should try to be failures in life. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying, hey, go be a bad dad and God will bless you anyways. Don't worry about it. I'm not saying just go be lazy at your job. It's okay. 
I'm not saying just sin all you want and fail all you want. It's all right. That's not what I'm saying. But what I think God's word is saying to us today is that God can and he will work through our weakness. And here's, here's what that means for us. We don't have to project this image that we have everything together. We don't have to hide our weaknesses from one another. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to not have all the answers. It's okay to not have it all together. It's okay to be weak. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 5, 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Do you see that? We're weak, we're ungodly, but God still loves us. Christ still died for us. God loves us in our weakness. And even more than that, God wants to use us in our weakness. So that should give us hope today. Paul is not ashamed of his weakness because he is convinced that God uses weak people. And so, brothers and sisters, let's not be ashamed of our weaknesses because God uses weak people. And so Paul continues our passage as we move on, and we see two illustrations that he uses to further make his point. Notice the first in verse 14. So Paul compares the Christian life to that of a Roman victory parade. Listen again to verse 14. He says, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Paul begins by praising God for using weak people. Then he compares our lives as weak Christians to a victory parade. So these Roman victory parades were a common occurrence in the Roman Empire. When a king would defeat his enemies, they would have these incredibly amazing parades through the city to celebrate the triumph. It was like a Christmas parade like on steroids. It was just these awesome things. There were trumpet players and flute players. They would march dozens of white ox through the city to be sacrificed. They would march all of the trophies of war that they had won, all the gold and the treasures they had taken from their enemies. People would be singing and dancing in the streets and, and praising. It was an amazing display of victory. But not for everyone. You see, part of this parade, the captives of war were paraded through the city. These men that they had defeated were bound in chains, and they would be paraded through the city in shame and in dishonor. And so I want us to see what Paul is saying here in verse 14. Because it could seem like Paul is saying the Christian life is a life of triumph. It could seem like he's saying we should expect victory in all areas of our lives at all times. Hey, I mean, Jesus is the victor, and so we can be victors with him as well. There certainly is a sense in which that's true, but that's not what Paul is saying here. You see, Paul means for us to identify not with the victors in the parade, but with the captives in the parade. If you're reading from the NIV, the New International Version, verse 14 says this, But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's 
triumphal procession. I think that's right. Paul is saying to us here that we are the captives of Christ. But what does that mean? Well, the picture here is that Jesus is leading this victory parade and we are his captives. Paul is showing that the Christian life just seems upside down to the world. When the world looks at us, we look defeated. We look shameful. We look weak. But when Jesus sees us, we are the trophies of war that he has waged over sin and death. We are the trophies of his grace. Paul is happy to be a weak captive because Jesus is his captor. He doesn't feel the need to show the Corinthian church how strong he is and how much victory he has in his life. He's not trying to convince them, hey, I really am super successful as an apostle. I really am great. You guys just don't see it. That's not what he's doing. He's content to be weak because Christ is great. Christ is successful. Christ is his strength. And notice in that verse what Jesus does with our weakness. Paul says in verse 14 that through us, Jesus spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. This is another part of the image of the victory parade. You see, these parades, they would fill the cities with all of the wonderful flowers that they could find. They would spray perfume all through the cities of the street. There would be priests burning incense in the whole city. The whole city would be filled with these wonderful smells. And Paul is saying that God does that with us. He uses us in our weaknesses to spread the smell of Jesus everywhere. Because God uses weak people. In 2008, I met Pastor Vijay. I was serving on a trip, a short-term trip to India, and we got paired up one day to go and, and be kind of shadows to a pastor. And so I spent the whole day just walking alongside Pastor Vijay doing ministry with him. He's the pastor of a small church in the absolute middle of nowhere. There's not a single person getting online to listen to his sermons. He's never going to write a best-selling Christian book. He's never going to get invited to speak at the, the big Christian conferences. He's never going to pastor a megachurch. He is a short man, which gives me some hope there. Yeah, he's a short man, very meek personality. He was often arrested by the police and pulled into the police station to be questioned for really no reason other than the fact that they didn't like that he was a pastor. By all human standards, Pastor Vijay is unsuccessful. He's unimpressive. He's weak. But God uses weak people. He took me to his little church where men and women, through his preaching, were giving their lives to Jesus. He showed me the little concrete hole out back where they would fill it with water and baptize people who were following Jesus. He showed me the homes of the people that he had counseled and prayed for and served throughout his ministry. He took me 
as he does every Friday to a, a leper colony where there are just all of these lepers. And he sat with them and he rubbed lotion on the nubs where their hands and their feet used to be. The world might look at VJ and say, that is a weak man. But God looks at VJ and says, I'm going to use you to spread the knowledge of Jesus everywhere that you go. That's what he says here. Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. God uses weak people. And he uses weak people to spread the smell of Jesus everywhere. Notice in verse 15, the second illustration that Paul uses. Look at verse 15. He says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Paul's using another metaphor here. When he uses that word aroma, he's comparing the Christian life to an Old Testament sacrifice. When an animal was slaughtered and burned, the smell of that sacrifice would go up to heaven. And it was often called a pleasing aroma to the Lord. When Noah gets off the ark and he offers a sacrifice to the Lord, it says it was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. In Leviticus 1.9, when it gives some instructions on how to offer a sacrifice. It says the same thing. It's a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Paul is saying our lives as Christians is a pleasing aroma to God. But what does that mean? Well, what is required for a sacrifice? The animal has to be chosen and set apart for the Lord. The animal has to be killed and the animal has to be burned on the altar. There has to be suffering for there to be sacrifice. There has to be death for there to be a sacrifice. Now listen, God is not cruel and twisted. Paul is not saying that God just loves to make us suffer. But notice what he is saying. Suffering is not the proof that God has rejected us. It's not the proof that God is against us. When we suffer for Christ's sake, God is pleased with us. And it is a pleasing aroma to him. I mean, isn't this what Jesus called us to? When he called us to discipleship? Isn't it a call to a life of suffering and death? He says, if anyone would come after me, what? Let him deny himself, suffering, and take up his cross daily, death, and follow me. Our self-denial makes God happy. Our death to sin and to selfishness, and maybe even our literal death, pleases the Lord. Our suffering for Jesus smells wonderful to God. You see, there were some people in the Corinthian church who looked at Paul's suffering and said, that just stinks. Paul stinks as an apostle of Jesus. But Paul is saying, what you think stinks, God thinks smells wonderful. And how does Paul know this? 
How does he know that it's a pleasing aroma when we suffer for Christ's sake? Well, he knows this because his Savior, our Savior, offered himself up as a sacrifice to God, and it smelled wonderful. Listen to Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. He says, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, listen to this, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul can trust that his suffering is pleasing to God because he knows that Jesus' suffering was pleasing to God. I mean, just think about the suffering and the weakness of Jesus for a moment. The eternal Son of God who is all-powerful, who created all things by His power, who at this very moment is holding all things together by His power, He became weak. He was born as one of us. Didn't we sing this earlier? Fullness of God in helpless babe. He faced in his life the weakness of hunger and thirst. He felt anxious. He felt overwhelmed at times. He was rejected by his people. He was abandoned by his friends. He was abused by his justice system. He was beaten and he was mocked and he was spit upon. He was stripped of all of his clothes and he was paraded through the city in shame and dishonor. He was crowned with thorns. He was nailed to a cross and he was executed as the worst of criminals. The crowds were mocking him, saying, save yourself. The criminals crucified next to him were were saying, do something, save us. The women following him were weeping, saying, why won't he stop this? Why, Why won't he stop this? He suffered excruciating pain. He endured unbearable sorrow. He was crushed under the wrath of God for our sin. I mean, has there ever been a more vivid display of weakness than Jesus dying on a cross? But God uses weak people. God turns the weakness of the world upside down. And the beauty of the gospel is that God uses not strength to bring salvation, but weakness to bring victory over sin and death. God uses the weakness of the cross to secure his trophies of grace. God uses the weakness of the cross to exalt Jesus and make him the treasure of the nations. The weakness of Jesus on the cross was a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul looks at the weakness of the cross and finds the confidence that God can use his weakness and ours too. And notice in the passage that God's not the only one smelling. He says, we're the aroma of Christ to those being saved and those perishing. Look at verse 16. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. 
Paul has two categories of people, those being saved and those perishing. Those who are perishing, those who don't believe the gospel, when they smell the weakness of Christ on display in us, it smells like death. It's like, you know, when you open your fridge and like something is just rotten in there, it's that overwhelming smell of just death. When they see the weakness of Jesus in us, it just smells like death. And that's because they're perishing in their sin. But he says to those who are being saved, those who have received the gospel and are growing in their salvation, when they see the weakness of Christ on display, it is the smell of life. It's like waking up to the smell of pancakes and bacon. Maybe it's like walking into the home of one of our Congolese families and smelling wonderful fufu. I don't know if you've ever smelled that. When true Christians see, they see the weakness of Jesus, it smells wonderful. So really, Paul says, it doesn't really matter how people respond. He's just amazed that God uses weak people like him. I wonder if the cross smells wonderful to you today. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian, not a follower of Jesus. And all of this business of weakness and suffering just smells rotten. The call to embrace your weakness, the call to come to Jesus and die, it just smells foolish. It smells like death. Well, listen, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to rescue sinners who are perishing. God gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. You can come to Jesus today and find everlasting life in him. If you would repent of your rebellion to God and believe that Jesus died and rose again for you, you can be saved. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to be strong. Jesus welcomes weak and ruined sinners. Listen, Jesus only saves those people who know they can't save themselves. If you think you can save yourselves, you will never be saved. Christ saves those who are weak. And so if you've never done that, would you come to Jesus today? Would you confess him as Lord and believe in his name for the first time today? If you would do that, you can join the rest of us in trusting and celebrating the fact that God uses weak people. You know, I, I used to read this passage a little bit differently when I would just read through the Bible. I used to think that Paul was saying, if we're faithful Christians, then we'll smell good to everybody around us. And if you're an unfaithful Christian, then, man, you're just going to stink. I used to think this passage was all about our performance. It's about how well we were living as Christians, how strong we could be in the Christian life. But that's not at all what Paul is saying. I think he's saying, and hopefully you've got it by now, God uses weak people. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, okay, yeah. I get it. I've heard you say that a hundred times already. God uses weak people. But what does that mean? What does that even look like in our lives? 
Here's a few ideas. Brothers, it means that God can use you to love and serve his church even if there's sin in your life that you're trying to kill. You can still be used by God. Husbands, it means that God can use you to lead your family even if you've failed more times than you can even remember. Ladies, it means that God can use you even if your life looks nothing like the Christian influencers on Instagram. Moms, it means that God can use you even if you feel overworked and overwhelmed. Older brothers and sisters here with us today, God can use you for his kingdom even in your 70s, even in your 80s, even in your 90s. God can use you. If you're single, it means that God can use you mightily for his kingdom and for his church, even if you're struggling to be single, even if you feel lonely all the time. He can still use you. It means God can use you as a pastor, even if you don't feel overly qualified. God can send you as a missionary, even if you don't feel overly gifted. God can use your suffering to comfort other people. God can use your anxiety to bless other people. God can use your failures to help other people. God can use your doubts to encourage others in the faith. Listen, God can use your weakness to display his power. Through the power of the gospel of Jesus, God uses weak people. And so that should give us comfort today. It should encourage us today. It should give us confidence today that God would use weak people like you and like me. And, you know, maybe, maybe you're sitting here and you're just thinking, yeah, but I just don't think I'm enough. I'm just not enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not successful enough. Listen, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm just not enough. Listen, honestly, I feel that way a lot, too. It doesn't take much for me just to feel too weak. It doesn't take much for me to feel like I'm a bad husband. It doesn't take much for me to feel like I'm a failure as a dad. It doesn't take much for me to feel like a bad pastor. It doesn't take much for me just to feel like a failure as a Christian. It's easy for me just to say, man, I am just not enough. I'm not enough. But listen, that's not just a feeling. That's the truth. I'm not enough. And you are not enough. We are not enough. Listen, Paul ends our passage in verse 17 reminding the Corinthians of his ministry. He says, listen, we didn't come trying to make money off of the preaching the word of God. We came with sincere hearts, people who were commissioned by Christ to preach Christ. But notice what he says at the end of verse 16. He asks the question, who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient to be used by God? 
He's saying, who is enough? Who among us is enough? And the answer to his question is no one. No one is sufficient to spread the knowledge of Christ. No one is sufficient to be the aroma of Christ. Not a single one of us in this room is enough. But there is someone who is. Jesus is and always will be enough. We can be weak because Jesus is enough. We can be vulnerable because Jesus is enough. We don't have to hide our failures because Jesus is enough. We don't have to trust our endless striving to be strong because Jesus is enough. We can rest because Jesus is enough. We can have peace in our hearts because Jesus is enough. We can have hope for our future because Jesus is enough. Brothers and sisters, we can embrace our weakness because Jesus is enough. His power is made perfect through our weakness. And praise the Lord that God uses weak people. So Christ Fellowship, let's look to the cross of Jesus today. Let's see God working through our weakness. Let's see the power of the gospel at work in us and through us. And let's trust that even in our weakness, God can use us in mighty ways. Brothers and sisters, we may be weak, but we are his. We are the trophies of his grace. We are the sacrifices of his love. We are the aroma of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. What a beautiful reminder that we are weak. In all of our efforts to be strong and to look strong, God, the reality is that we are weak. We are not enough. But Lord, we praise you that Jesus is enough. Jesus is strong enough. His life is powerful enough. His grace is deep enough. His love is wide enough. So that not only would you save weak sinners like us, but that you would use us to spread the knowledge of Jesus and to be a sacrifice of praise and a pleasant aroma to you, God. Lord, I pray for those here today who don't know Jesus. I pray that they would see just how wonderfully enough he is. He's enough to save them from their sins. He's enough to bring them the joy and happiness that they so long for. He is enough to give them an unshakable hope for no matter what happens to us in the future. God, would they repent of their sins and believe in Jesus today and be saved. And God, for those of us who are being saved, God, would you show us that our weakness is not something to hide. It's not something to lie about with other Christians but it's something to embrace because you work through the power of the gospel to use weak people like us. So God, would you use us? And we pray this in the name of Jesus.
Amen.